Hello, welcome to GunfighterCast, episode number 148. I'm your host, Daniel Shaw. I'm still here with Andy Padilla, and this episode we are going to talk about handgun reloads and stoppage clearances. It should be pretty interesting. Uh, I'm going to try to paint mental pictures for you. Um, and in the next few days, uh, I should have a video out explaining a lot of these details uh, that we're going to cover in this episode. And um, it, it should be pretty interesting. And I'm not just going to tell you how to clear stoppages. Uh, there's a lot of things that, that happen out there uh, of the way people set up stoppages for training, the way stoppages are created, the way they're cleared, that are not really in line with what I believe reality to be based on what I've seen in reality of stoppages. So we're going to get into all of that here in just a second. Primary Weapon Systems has a summer rebate sale going on until the end of August. Get $200 cash rebate on any in-stock rifle, pistol, or upper. As a listener of Gunfighter Cash, you get that $200 instantly at checkout at primaryweapons.com using the code SHAW200. You can also use the code SHAW10 on other purchases at primaryweapons.com for 10% off. All right, welcome back. We're going to dive right in here, and uh, me and Andy are going to try to paint mental pictures for you. So you can you can understand what we're talking about. Uh, with it, it would be better if we could watch and show a gun and everything else. But uh, my current subscription for the podcast and everything that goes into it uh, that would eat up like three months of my bandwidth right now. And I'm not ready to pay that price that it would cost to be able to put up those videos. Um, Andy, how you doing today? Awesome. Cool. Glad to be here. <laughs> Uh, we're going to talk about types of stoppages first. So stoppages, things that make your gun stop working. Why do they quit working? Most common, gun ran out of ammunition. You shot all the bullets out of the gun and it stopped working. So as we go through this right here, uh, I'm going to talk about how – we'll talk about identifying here in a second. But I'm going to talk about what our first line of observation is. So your gun is always talking to you. And you should be always communicating with your gun. We're talking to each other. So if when what tells my me to or what when when I tell my gun to fire, I tell it to fire by applying the exact amount of pressure it takes to make my gun go bang with that move trigger going to the rear um, at the same pace and everything, making that gun go bang. My gun tells me when it's time to do that when the gun's pointed at my desired aiming area, and then I command the gun to fire. So uh, when my gun stops working, it tells me other things. I press the trigger. Nothing happens. If I feel that I have, if I'm using a rifle, for example, because uh, we're going to cover a little bit of, uh, you know, actually we're going to cover a rifle a little bit later on. So if I'm shooting a handgun and my handgun, my Glock will go with, uh, or any pretty much most modern striker fire handguns, if I go with my slide locks to the rear, that is a part of an indicator that I ran out of ammunition. Now, how many of you out there, be honest, have tried to press your trigger a few times? even while your slide's locked to the rear. I'm guilty, right? Andy's raising his hand. Uh, I may do it tomorrow, right? It happens all the time. So I may not recognize that my slide locked to the rear the instant that it locked to the rear. Um, so, But that may be part of my levels of observation. But what really communicates with me is when that trigger doesn't move. If I'm, if I'm out of ammunition and most of, of the guns that uh, I see in classes and strike of our handguns, uh, there will be a dead trigger. The trigger is just all the way to the rear and it doesn't move back. It's completely dead, not mushy, not anything else. It doesn't click, doesn't do anything. It's just a dead trigger that doesn't move. Um, that is what I see most of the time when the slide is locked to the rear. 
I also see that when we have a double feet, whenever the slide is back quite a bit. Occasionally, I see that, or a very awkward movement of the trigger when we have a stovepipe. So the trigger is my first line of observation of what problem I have with my gun. So for example, if a double feed has a dead trigger, and out of ammo has a dead trigger, and a half feed, or the stoppage we see with limp wrist, where the front of the projectile is just kind of hanging on the feed ramp, just didn't have enough inertia to press that thing all the way into the feed ramp, when the slide's back to the rear that far, when the slide's back that far, we get the dead trigger. So if I feel a dead trigger, I know that I'm either out of ammunition, I have a double feed, or I've got that half feed, limp wrist style type stoppage, possibly, but not likely, a stovepipe. So if I know all those things because of the fill of my trigger, um, then I can just conduct uh, a reload in many cases and clear that stoppage. If I have a double feed, sometimes conducting a reload is not going to clear that stoppage. Sometimes it will. So if I, I believe that it, if the light conditions allow, and I also believe that the light conditions almost always allow, because uh, we're often not fighting in complete and total darkness. We're usually in, have some kind of light around so I can actually see my chamber and see the, the bullets and the projectiles and the casings and everything else in that, that gun. I can tilt that gun or I can look in the chamber or I can look in that open space where the ejection port is and I can see that I'm out of ammunition. If you're out of ammunition, reload the gun. If I see that I have a double feed, now this is going to be funny, right? Um, I, I have recently changed my double feed clearance. Now, when I say double feed, I'm talking about I have got a round going into the chamber and I have another round kind of stuck in the chamber above it, a double feed with a handgun. Uh, it happens. I don't see it all the time. Um, I see failure to extracts probably more than, than the double feed itself, mm-hmm. uh, where there's a casing stuck in the chamber and another round tries to go in behind it. Uh, I see that. I see them a lot of times shooter-induced um, because they cause the double feed. And, and while they're clearing some other stoppage or, or reloading the gun and they slap that magazine in too hard and a round pops out and then it's still stuck in the gun uh, and two rounds try to go in the chamber at the same time uh, so they encounter a double feed. There's a, a thousand reasons why it happens, but the double feed does happen. And so if I've got that double feed and I, th- th- this is where I've changed my mind a little bit recently, uh, I often ask, you know, what, we should, what should we do next? And some people will tell you to lock the slide to the rear. Now, I've never been a fan of lock the slide to the rear first. It's, it's a waste of time. Most of these modern striker-fire handguns that we're dealing with have little cutouts above the magazine. Your Glock, if you didn't put one of those silly uh, things in the back to fill up that little gap, you know, that gap that's like the perfect size of your thumb so that you can grab the magazine and rip it out of the magazine well for a double feed or any other kind of stoppage that the magazine's stuck in, um, that thing... You should, uh, Smith & Wesson, for example, have the, the toe of the mag. The front of the mag sticks out a little bit. Uh, VP9 from H&K has little cutouts on the mag well at the bottom, and so you can really grab the magazine well very well. Uh, Vickers base plates on your Glock so you can grab the sides of the magazine. The little cutout behind for your, that's the perfect size of your thumb, uh, behind the magazine well um, on the Glocks. 
um, Ruger's, the front end of that magazine sticks out uh, a little bit. Uh, the new FN 509's, they have a little cutout so you can grab the magazine, the base of the magazine very well. So there's, it, people are putting, these companies are, are building guns around the idea that problems are going to need to be solved by ripping the magazine out because they're understanding how we clear double feeds and, or if there's no extracts or anything where the magazine is stuck in the magazine well. So we have to be able to get a good purchase on the magazine. Now, if you're using a 1911, uh, or some kind of gun similar to that that has magazines where you cannot grab that magazine because it's so flush fit and you can't pull it out, then we're going to need to lock that slide to the rear first, get pressure off of that thing, get that magazine out. Uh, by pulling it down, if it's really stuck, we could push down from the top while pressing that magazine release. So we have to get that magazine out of the gun in whatever way that we can. So we'll talk more about clearing the, the double feed here in, in a second and more of those details, but I give all that information because I, I want you to understand that um, what I've changed is before I was teaching rip the magazine out immediately, rack the slide until we see ejection or we know that it's clear, and reload the gun. This uh, double feed clearance is... It's, a couple of seconds, super fast. Uh, if I only have one magazine, I'm retaining it. Uh, if I have another magazine, I may even still retain it. It just depends. Uh, and keep it in my hand while I'm racking. So I'm ripping the magazine out, racking, reload, rack, and I'm ready to go again. Um, what I've changed recently is instead of going straight to that rip, the first step is slap the crap out of the magazine up into the magazine well as I'm moving my hand to get a good grip on that magazine, I'm seeing a very, very high percentage of double feeds being cleared simply by slapping the bottom of the magazine well when that double feed is, is in the gun. And I just slap that magazine up in the magazine well and a sorcerer comes <laughs> down and knocks that round out of the chamber and, and chambers the next round and the gun is in a firing position. And uh, it works. And I have to credit Steve Fisher from that. Uh, and I, I'm not saying it works 100% of the time. I'm saying it works. I'm seeing, I'm, yeah, I'm guessing here, this isn't science. I haven't tracked it all. Uh, I would say probably somewhere between 75 and 85% that slap is fixing these double feeds. And I'm not talking about generally just tapping it. I'm talking about slapping the magazine up in the magazine well. And if that doesn't work, then we just rip and rack and clear and reload. Um, so that, that, that slapping of the magazine is clearing a very high percentage of the time. Enough of a percentage for me to make it my new step one that I teach and that I use myself for a double feed clearance. It is successful enough times that I have changed on that. And, uh, it, and, and with a variety of guns. I, I, I haven't encountered a gun that it just doesn't work on yet. Um, sometimes the, I, well, I say that, but sometimes the really little guns um, that you just, you can't get a good, good slap on the magazine because your hand's in the way, um, because the, the, the small little grip and your fingers and your part of your hand is sticking below and you're actually slapping the bottom of your hand instead of the magazine, sometimes you, you don't get enough sharp force uh, to clear it on the smaller guns. Uh, but the full-size big guns, um, huge. Uh, enough for me to change my mind on it and make it my step one for the double feed clearance. Talk uh, out of ammo, double feed, how to observe them. We feel that dead trigger. The last one, sometimes that, that the slide isn't all the way to the rear. So we don't get the completely dead trigger. We get an awkward movement of the trigger 
when we have a stovepipe because the slide is a bit more forward. Now the difference is if it's a completely inline stovepipe where uh, the cartridge is in line is laying in line with the slide or if the cartridge is pointing up in the quintessential what everybody sets up for stovepipes with a handgun. Um, that will depend on whether we get the uh, dead trigger or not. It depends on how far that slide back is. We may get a slight awkward movement of the trigger when we have that stovepipe depending on how far the slide is forward. Uh, and then uh, lastly, our half feed or limp wrist. Usually that slides back far enough that we'll have a, a dead trigger on that one. When I'm talking about the half feed, um, it's, it's, those of you who have, you can replicate this, be careful out there on the range, uh, but just to hold the gun with very little, very little grip on the gun um, and, and make sure the gun's pointed at the target, the berm, and all that good stuff, and just press the trigger without having a good rigid recoil button behind it, and you'll see that half feed or the limp wrist type stoppage happen where it just doesn't quite feed all the way. Uh, if you do it too much, it won't even eject. So there's all these different levels of what happens when we limp wrist the gun, and everybody's always like, well, I don't, I'm a big, strong guy. I don't limp wrist. I'm like, yeah, that's great until you've been running a rifle for hours uh, you're doing some pretty hefty drills you're kind of wore out and the the way you're manipulating that rifle and holding that rifle and shooting it you don't have to have a, a stiff wrist you don't have to be you're just you're holding everything into your shoulder and pressing and pulling and all that good stuff but just not it has very little to do with your wrist of your right hand and then you drop that big gun out of the way and you draw your little gun and if you apply the same kind of techniques and concepts that you're doing with your wrist with your little gun that you were with your big gun I start seeing stoppages increase from half feeds with a two-hand grip or a one-hand grip when people are transitioning from rifle to handguns because of the motor skills, the mechanics are significantly different than between the two. So we have to make a mental shift when we go from our big gun down to our little gun and then our little gun back to our big gun. Big gun's a lot more forgiving. So those are our types of stoppage other than uh, one that I don't see it a whole lot from actual guns or ammunition. I see it more from shooters not seating a magazine properly. So, and that was fair to fire. The reason I say this one for last, because it is our only stoppage that has a distinct click, that the striker falling, the hammer falling, the way it would if you were dry firing the gun. It, if we encounter a click, the normal everyday, what my gun does when I press the trigger, click, if I encounter that, it's only one stoppage. I don't need to look, I don't need to do anything else. Uh, it's not a double feed. It's not a failure to fire. I mean, I'm sorry. It, it is a failure to fire. It's not out of ammo. It's not. A, it's not a half feed. It's none of those things. It is. I did not have a round in the chamber, or I had a bad round in the chamber. I'm beginning to experience mechanical failure in the gun. Uh, magazine was not seated properly. The follower in the magazine was stuck, and it wasn't pushing those rounds all the way to the top. In any case, I don't care. I do, but I, I don't care right there in that, that instance what the exact cause of this is, I'm going to apply a different corrective action. And uh, there's an immediate corrective action for that when I get that everyday click. And we'll talk about that here in a few seconds. So step one of identifying is what that trigger feels like. That's going to tell me pretty close to what my problem is. That in low light, um, I could pretty much react just on the feel of my trigger. Uh, when I, if, I can't, if I'm in a situation where I just can't see what's going on in that gun. If I have to, I can feel. If I have to, I can just always conduct a double feed clearance um, and, and basically clear their gun out no matter what it is. Uh, I can uh, just reload the gun 
And whenever I rack that gun, if I feel the gun go all the way back into battery, then I know I'm good. If I know it's not, then I need to go to that double feed corrective action. So there's a lot of different ways to do this in, in low light, but we often use our eyes and get it right the very first time and not have to repeat anything or do anything again. Uh, when we come right back from this little break from Nighthawk Custom, um, we're going to talk a little bit about actually conducting these reloads, clearing the failure to fire. Uh, the double feeds, stovepipes, and all that stuff, and do my best to explain these to you in a way that you can see them in your mind. If you're looking for the highest quality in 1911s, look no further than Nighthawk Custom. Nighthawk is giving away a custom 1911 every 90 days this year. Enter for your chance to win a Nighthawk Custom Shadowhawk with a Surefire X300 Ultra by visiting www.nighthawkcustom.com forward slash gunfightercast. There's no purchase necessary, and there are many ways to get more entries. All right, welcome back. Andy, what happens whenever your slide locks to the rear and there's no more bullets in the gun? Oh, crap. Yeah, it's time to reload the gun, right? Mm-hmm. So, well, terminology out there. Um, I, I'm i going to call this a speed reload. And I'm not getting into tactical reloads. And I understand that there are many schools of thoughts out there on this. Uh, the speed reload, the emergency reload. Um, and there are some people out there that would that would explain that, and they teach, and that's fine. I don't care what they call it. it. Doesn't make them wrong. It doesn't make me right or anything. But the emergency reload to some people is the one that I'm talking about, the slide lock reload, and the speed reload is something that I consider another version of the tactical reload, where uh, I know I spent some bullets. I'm not retaining my magazine. I'm just throwing a new fresh magazine in the gun, and there's nothing wrong with that either. There's a time and place for that, for sure. Uh, I just stay with the terminology of the speed reload and that uh, replacing the mag and and dropping the other magazine on the ground is another form of the tactical reload uh, for me and and what I teach, what I consider just for simplicity's sake. So speed reload, I want them to be fast. This should be fast. There should be an intense sense of urgency uh, associated with the speed reload because my gun is out of ammunition. Because my gun is out of ammunition and I cannot fight right now uh, until I get my gun working again. I can't do anything. So, speed reload. Step one, make sure I have a speed reload, right? So, it's, I'm out of ammunition. Uh, I got to get the magazine out of the gun, get a new magazine in, get the slide back forward. All that stuff's pretty self self explanatory on what I need to do. I try to, uh, if we were on a range, I would explain to you um, zones of dexterity. So where I like to text message, where I hold my phone when I text message, where I thread needles, uh, where I I do things, uh, where I work on things. If I built a um, a workshop and I had a, a workbench in there and I put together model airplanes, I would build that in a way that I could stand there and work on these objects somewhere within my zone of dexterity where I like to do things with my hands. Maybe a joke in there somewhere. But... I, that's where I want to work on my gun. I don't want to work on my gun with it fully extended away from me. Uh, I don't need to bring it in right against my chest to work on my gun, whatever I'm doing to it. There's somewhere within there where it's going to be optimal for me to conduct a reload. Uh, drop the magazine out. Other hands, non-firing hands, going to find that next magazine. It comes back up to the magazine well. Here's a place where um, I argue against some things I see on the Internet where people tell me that I should never look at my gun when I'm reloading the gun. Um, I, I can tell you that every single time I try to test this and see it, the people who never look at their gun during reloads always have the slowest reloads. Every one of them always have the slowest reloads. If I did 10 of them with 
10 of you listening right now. We did 10 reloads where you weren't allowed to look at your gun. And then we did 10 reloads where you were allowed to look at your magazine well. And I told you you had to look at your magazine well. Reload. I would bet, um, I gotta bet my next paycheck, um, that the average of those times will be faster for those who were observing their magazine well at just that fraction of a second where the tip of that magazine was beginning to be inserted in the magazine well. Just for a split second, not staring at the magazine, the gun, the whole time we're reloading, but we're looking down range, looking at our target, moving, doing whatever we need to do. But at that crucial point where we always bounce, bobble, not get perfectly in the magazine well, if they looked at that magazine well right then, you would get a few different things happen. One, you'd be a lot more sure every time that magazine goes in and you wouldn't bounce around three or four times every time you reload or at least one out of every five reloads that you did. You're not going to have that bounce happen. You're going to be faster at reloading when you look at the gun. We're always faster when we look at what we're doing. It's our, our eyes can help us significantly. Um, the next thing is I carry magazines in my pocket. I've sometimes pulled magazines out of my pockets and I had quarters stuck in them pocket lint. I have a round sticking an inch out of my magazine because it's not seated all the way back to the magazine well. It doesn't mean I need to pop that round out, but it does mean that I need to tilt that magazine a little bit and reload my handgun like an AK and get that that round seated as I'm inserting in the magazine well, where I wouldn't know that if I wasn't looking. Right, So it's got a couple of things that it does for me. Also, is there absolutely anything that I can do about that guy shooting at me or trying to hurt me right now? No. I can't do anything. I can't do anything until I get my gun working, right? So I could watch them be bad while I reload slower, or I could not watch them for a fraction of a second and be able to do something about that problem sooner, right? Um, the other thing is when people tell me that I should never look at my magazine or they see me in video looking at my magazine well at that fraction of a second where I'm, I'm inserting that magazine in the magazine well, and they tell me that, that I, I'm a noob because I'm looking at my gun doing a reload. Um, and I should never be looking at my gun. I should always be looking down range. I always ask them this one question. Do you focus on your sights ever when you're shooting? And I never get a reply. So somehow it is it's possible. Somehow we're supposed to focus on our front sight blade. Keep it in the center of the rear sight notch. Put it on a target and press the trigger. And, and while I'm applying and using deadly force, I'm focusing on my gun, the part of my gun that moves a lot, the most, the front of the gun, the, the front sight blade. I'm focusing on that while I'm actually shooting at an evildoer, and it's in a way where I can't really see the foreground and background or anything else very well because I'm focused on that front sight blade. And I can focus on that part of my gun while I'm actually shooting somebody, but when I'm reloading my gun... I can somehow no longer use my peripheral vision at all to get my reloads faster. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. I don't buy it for a second um, that I can, it's okay to stare at your front sight blade, but I should never look at my gun during a reload. Um, I, I don't get it. Maybe somebody can explain it to me better, but I will be faster every time when I take that split second and, and check and make sure that magazine is going right into that magazine well, and it's not bouncing, it's not doing anything else, uh, it's going to be consistent. I challenge you to go time yourself looking and not looking. And, I, and when it's time to reload our gun, speed is essential. We need to be fast. We also need to make sure uh, that our magazine is getting seated properly. Seeing all these things and, and watching ourselves do it, it can help us do that. But I still can't do anything about that guy that I'm watching until my gun gets reloaded. So what's the higher priority of work here? Watch the guy be bad and maybe trying to kill me or 
get my gun reloaded so I can do something about it. And I personally believe it's get my gun reloaded so I can do something about it. So magazine seated, all that good stuff. Um, now I need to get my slide forward. A lot of argument out there on how to get slides forward. I personally like three ways of getting my slide forward. Um, I like the slide release. And you can call it a slide stop. You can tell me what Glock says in the manual, all you want. But if I push that thing down, my slide goes forward. Um, and people will argue that you can't use your slide release under stress because fine motor skills. Um, I, they argue the same thing about using your thumb to hit your bolt release on your rifle. And I don't understand how I can somehow press a trigger with my index finger perfectly and apply and not move the gun and make my gun go bang with the exact amount of pressure needed to make my gun go bang so I actually get accurate hits on my target. And then after I do that 15 times, I have to press a magazine release with my left thumb and then I put a new rectangle in a rectangle hole, the game I've been playing since I was like three years old or two years old maybe. Um, but then for some reason, I can't get my finger on top of a slide release and press that same thumb down that just pressed a magazine release, but I can't press that. I can't use that thumb anymore. Like that's, it's a one trick pony. All it can do is, is hit that magazine release. It can't hit a slide release. I don't buy that for one second either. Right. So, uh, I am a, a big fan of using the slide release, uh, because the shot timer, um, and, and work on the range. It tells me that when I use my slide release, it's faster. And the technique I use is after it presses the magazine release, that thumb's next job is to find the slide release. So as that new magazine's coming in the magazine well, and that, that magazine is pressed upward into the magazine well, I'm feeling that upward pressure and feeling that click, and I'm pressing down with my thumb. I'm using the magazine's pressure going up to help me push that thumb down at the same time, and the slide, the gun is going into battery, and I'm ready to fire much faster. I am not using uh, another technique that moves my non-firing hand away from the gun to have to move it back to the grip of the gun to be able to fire again. So it's going to be faster for me. Now, I'm not saying that the overhand rack or creating the saddle on the gun, on the, on the, the slide, and racking it back is a bad technique. It's a technique that I use very, very often. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. it dep- they're both situational dependent. It's also gun dependent. Uh, people will say, well, I use this one because it's good for every gun. Like, well, I, I don't carry every gun, and almost every gun that I've ever carry has a slide release. Now, yeah, there's some out there that don't. Guns that I carry, they all have slide releases, and I can always reach them with my thumb, with the exception of 1911s. Um, I just can never fire. I can turn my gun in my hand and reach out there and get it with a 1911, um, but I, I usually, I, I almost 100% of the time, use that overhand rack with the uh, um, 1911. I also almost 100% of the time use an overhand rack with the Smith & Wesson M&P Shield because they have, when they're new, they have really, really tight slide releases that don't send them forward very, very well. Uh, so I often use the overhand rack with that gun, but I've had some shields that, that, that don't have any trouble sending the slide forward with a slide release. So it just it, it's gun dependent on what you use. Uh, what else I want there with the overhand rack is I'm just grabbing that back serrated portion of that slide between the heel of my hand and my fingers and I'm ripping that thing back all the way to the rear and letting my hand come off the gun whenever the slide stops traveling uh, not riding it forward at all letting it go home 100% on its own power when I overhand rack the gun if you pull out your gun make sure it's unloaded um, if you don't know this the slide will lock to the rear using the slide stop and there's still a fraction of an inch left 
that that slide will go back to the rear, putting even more spring tension on that gun. So we can get more inertia, more power, uh, racking that slide back with that overhand rack at getting that slide forward on a dirty gun or anything like that than we can by simply hitting the slide release. Um, so I, I believe in both options, the slide stop and the overhand rack. Uh, another one that I found myself doing in the past, uh, and I teach it as an option, is the inverted rack where I turn the gun on its sides. Like uh, I set guns in my right hand, I turn the sights over to the left and I meet my non-firing hand. It is fast. Uh, it's faster for me than the overhand rack uh, to get from for split times because what happens is I don't have to move my hand back to a firing grip. It's already in a position where it can just collapse on that gun and be in another firing grip with both hands rather than moving that hand, that non-firing hand away from the gun and then having that hand try to get back out there and catch the gun again. When I'm overhand racking and I'm pressing the gun forward and pulling that hand back at the same time, I often have very little time to get my non-firing hand back out there to a, a good firing grip again. So I see a lot of people often shooting with a bad grip um, because they have very they want to fire that next shot, so they shoot with a subpar grip. Uh, using the inverted rack, rack gets that, that non-firing hand to the gun quicker. Uh, using the slide release helps us on that second shot because we have a more time we have more time and our non-firing hand can get back into a support position sooner so those are a few ways to to reload the gun and i'm not one of those guys who says here's the exact way you need to reload your gun i see a plethora of different handguns every week people bring all kind of different stuff out and to say that everybody should use a slide release everybody's hand should use a slide release i think is ridiculous to say that everybody should use the overhand rack just for every single time they reload the gun we are humans that are capable of amazing things we can make decisions on the fly we can change what we were planning on doing in fractions of a second uh if we train to a high level our brain can take fast path and do what's absolutely best in that situation and if we're good at a variety of these things we can choose our where body can choose uh what is exactly what is the most efficient in that situation so i, I believe in training all three of those messages for sending the slide forward and uh that's our that's our reload technique uh if you got any questions on that uh let me know um next is our, our failure to fire um when I get that standard click, that hammer fall on, that striker fall on, whatever uh, gun you're using, and I, I get that happen, there's just to be an automatic response. I talked about this earlier. I know my magazine is either not seated properly, bad round in the chamber, mechanical failure with a gun. In any case, I need to reset this striker. I need to reset my hammer. Um, I need to make sure my magazine's seated. I need to, I need to make sure that follower is unstuck if, it, if it's stuck in the magazine, whatever the cause is. So I'm going to slap the bottom of the magazine, forcing it up into the magazine well. And then I'm going to rack that slide to the rear, let it go home 100% on its own power, establish another two-handed grip, or reassess. You know, uh, tap, rack, reassess, tap, rack, bang, whatever your situation you're encountering. Pretty simple on the, the failure to, to fire. Um, how, whether you use the overhand rack or inverted rack is up to you. Uh, I am almost 100% uh, tap and then overhand rack um, when I'm, I'm conducting that, that failure to fire stoppage clearance. We're going to take a little quick break and we're going to be right back and going to talk about clearing a double feed and the stovepipe. We'll be right back. Bravo Concealment Holsters is a high quality holster manufacturer based out of Texas. The customer service at Bravo Concealment is unmatched 
And when you buy from Bravo Concealment, you get a 30-day money-back guarantee and an unlimited lifetime warranty. Visit bravoconcealment.com and use the code GUNFIGHTER at checkout for 10% off your next holster. All right, guys, welcome back. Uh, so I already explained this a little bit of the step one and, and what to do. I already talked through it a little bit, but I'm going to give you a little more detail. So I got a double feed. I've got a, two rounds trying to go in the chamber at the same time. Um, not that, something that I see all the time with handguns. Uh, the most common stoppage that I see with handguns is shooter-induced failure to fire. The next most common that I have to do with mechanical mechanics of the gun or, or ammunition or whatever happens in the process of firing is I, I see um, the, the the something shooter-induced, like limperous, like half-feed type thing is, is what I, I see the most out of everything. But if I do have two rounds trying to go in the same chamber, step one, slap the crap out of the bottom of the magazine while you're attempting to get a good purchase on that magazine. If the stoppage is cleared, establish two-handed grip, fire. If it doesn't clear it, then rip, rack until you see ejection, or you know that your chamber's clear, reload the gun, rack, you're back on it. And that's it. Uh, retain the magazine if it's your only one. I encourage people to carry more than one magazine. Um, not because I think you're going to be in a shootout and it's going to require 30 rounds, but because I, the most common problem that I see on ranges with guns is magazines breaking. The base plate's coming off, uh, the feed lip's getting broke, bent, something, and just round shooting out of the top like a geyser, uh, coming apart out of the gun. Uh, I, I see magazines break more than, than anything. So uh, I, I believe I carry an extra magazine, or I should carry an extra magazine, because um, I am more likely to need it in the case of a stoppage clearance than actually needing all those bullets in a gunfight. That's uh that's your double feed clearance. Uh, set up some double feeds and slap the crap out of that pistol grip or the the magazine well, and and let me know how it works out for you. Uh, the first time I saw it and did it, I I was looking at my gun like, what sorcery is this? Mm-hmm. Like it 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 kind of blew my mind, and uh, it works. Then uh, very very impressive. Not really anything in a manual or anything orthodox that I've been taught before until uh, Steve's class, but uh, it was pretty uh pretty impressive. All right, next is uh, stovepipe. So we always set up stovepipes where there's just a round sitting up to the top of the right gun. And, you know, your striker fires typically eject out of the top, go top and slightly right. Uh, your uh, Browning High Powers, 1911s, will eject out the right-hand side. Some of your SIG, some of your Berettas, all those things. Um, you'll see them go out to the side. So we should set stovepipes up in the direction that the rounds typically get stuck for stovepipes. Sometimes we see a stovepipe where there wasn't a good ejection because of limp wristing. Um, because there just wasn't a good recoil abutment behind it, so the slide doesn't go all the way to the rear, and it doesn't slam that. The extractor's holding onto the rim of the cartridge, and it pulls it back, and it slams it against the ejector. And if it doesn't go back very far, and it doesn't get to slam against that ejector, there is no ejection. It ends up getting stuck in the, uh, the gun as the slide's moving back forward, where it may or may not be chambering another round. <coughs> Regardless... Um, if your gun's not cham- if it is or is not chambering another round, it doesn't really matter. Um, if I have a stovepipe and if the back of that next cartridge that's being chambered is actually engaged, if it went far enough or if it's moved it where it's actually engaged on um, the extractor and it's left the magazine, then racking that slide to the rear, um, is going to clear that stoppage 100% of the time, no matter how you're holding it, uh, if that next round going in the chamber has been engaged on the extractor. 
it because that round that's held on the extractor is going to force that other round out as it strikes the ejector. It's going to push that casing out and the round that you were uh, trying to chamber there to begin with. Now, sometimes we have a stovepipe where the next round hasn't really left the magazine and it's not engaged behind the extractor. Uh, when that happens, we have a stovepipe, we often need to lean the gun over slightly, let gravity help us get that casing out so we don't cause a double feed type thing with a uh, spent cartridge in there and a live round trying to be chambered. So I, what I teach for, for the uh, stovepipe clearance is, one, slap the crap out of the bottom of the magazine like we did for the double feed because it clears it a high percentage of the time. And if that doesn't work, I lean the gun over, ejection port side, rack, and I'm clear. That's stovepipe clearance. Andy, got anything to add? Nope, I'm on board with everything. Uh, but I'm fixing to start slapping the bottom of my magazine. <laughs> yeah. it, I'm telling you, man. Uh, have we talked about this before? No. Have we done it? Nope. We'll have to go set it up, man. Well, we, are, we are about to. It, it'll blow your mind. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Guys, um, I... I, I Apologize for this not being a video for you. To, I hope you, you followed along and you understand what we're talking about. I was trying to uh, speed a lot of information out really, really quickly, and hopefully it made sense. Um, setting up these these double feeds and uh, and different stoppages is uh, it, it there's there's probably a lot of information out there that you can look around and find it online. And if you see anything that looks good or you're kind of sketchy about it or you're not sure if it's, it's exactly what you should be doing for setting them up. Um, Feel free to, to reach out at danielshaw0369 at gmail.com uh, or Instagram, Facebook, danielshaw0369. In the next episode, I'm going to talk about carbine stoppage clearances. And this one, I'm going to get into detail about how to actually set these stoppages up. This one, I have a video coming out that goes into detail about how to set these up and how they're often set up improperly because they don't really happen that way. Um, and it's very, very counterproductive for us to practice clearing stoppages in a way that's not going to work in reality because the stoppages don't really happen that way. So uh, stand by for that one and look for that new episode coming in Gunfighter Cast episode number 149. And uh, thanks for listening. And until next time, Gunfighter Cast out. <laughs>